This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. It is finally Friday, which means it is time for our weekly wrap-up. I have Eric from Comstock Investments with us. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brianne. Even though it was a holiday-shortened week, it's uh, still glad to be to Friday. Absolutely. It was a short week, like you just said, but it was also a quiet and low-volume week for the grain market due to traders preparing for Tuesday, September 12th, for the crop production and WASDE report. Yeah, so that was pretty much driving the trade. Really, I was surprised. We saw it as early as last week. And then this week, you could tell it had just taken over. Nobody was really willing to step in on either side. And and so we just had this every day. It was a little lower volume, a little more lethargic market and didn't really do a whole lot for the week. Uh, the corn market closed December up two and a quarter at 483 and three quarter. And that was, you know, we saw a little bit of life on Wednesday. Uh, I would attribute that to the lower crop conditions. Uh 3% lower on the good, excellent side of the corn. But really, for the most part, the trade shrugged it off because, again, it was all in preparation for next week. At the same time, you're kind of getting some bearish inputs from bigger picture items. You know, China's still not buying. Um, we know we have some export trouble, particularly on the corn side. And then Mississippi River levels continue to be uh, just a hanger for the bears to hang their hat on. And day in and day out you're seeing headlines from the likes of you know bloomberg and and the you know even the cme is putting out information about it and they're talking about how is this going to impact basis levels and things and so that continues to loom i think that's keeping some pressure on the market even though the crop continues to go backwards in the fields one thing though to keep in mind is with those lower mississippi river levels they're not as aggressive to buy because they know they're going to have trouble shipping. They're either going to have light barges or no movement at all. And so that has really shifted the focus to what's that mean for the ethanol industry. And so we we can look at a chart of where the ethanol industry has been over the last several years. And when we look at that, we can see that their margin levels are as high or higher than they've been at virtually any point with the exception of that 2021 leading into 22 timeframe. So that one little blip in the radar is the only time that we've seen higher margins for the ethanol crush industry. And now they're not having to fight so hard for the corn because they don't have as big a competitor with the river terminals. So they're able to get cheaper corn and probably get more of it when the combines start rolling. And so this could be a a really uh, big moment for ethanol uh, from a margin standpoint. And they could procure quite a bit of grain here in early harvest if the river is, is continuing to be a problem at that point. All right, let's talk about silage appraisals. Are they still disappointing? Yeah, you know, with the exception of a few little pockets, and I happen to be sitting in one of those pockets right now, um, you, you've just got a vast uh, majority very disappointed. Um, even here where it's it's great, nobody should be complaining about 240 appraisals on silage. Uh, they expected 270. So you expect that 260, 270 mark, and maybe you'll get lucky and see some 280. And in a matter of two weeks, well, really two out of three weeks were extremely hot, extremely dry, and just sucked the life out of the corn. And it, and it cost bushels. It really did. It cost test weight. So, yeah, disappointing for the most part. But, you know, we're a lot better than the likes of Kansas where dry land's going 40, 50, 60 bushel. 
Um, so we re can't really complain too much here, but it has been nationwide. Was there anything notable in soybean this week? Soybeans were a huge disappointment, I think, this week. We've talked about how far backwards they've gone in the field. Pods are flat. We're not, we're not going to see the production that we thought we were going to a month ago for certain. And I think we'd be lucky to keep pace with last year at this point. From a yield standpoint, I think total production might be better just due to sheer acreage. But double crop stuff is mostly lost that went in behind wheat. You know, that area looked really good at that time. So, yeah, we're going to get it in the ground. We're going to try some double crop. And immediately, like a switch, it just shut off. And, and those crops never matured, never made it never made anything out of them. This week, we saw a 5% reduction in the good to excellent rating for soybeans nationwide. That was huge. Illinois dropping 10% was a really big deal. When you, when you talk about the number one soybean producing state dropping 10% in a single week, and we still got a week to go where they've had little help. So we could see more there as well. Kansas dropped 12%, good to excellent. They're not a major soybean producer, but they top the charts as far as the size of reduction that we saw last week. So yeah, it, it's it's been very disappointing. Yeah, November beans finished the week six and a quarter lower at 1363. So we kind of gave up what was a, a upper support level. Now we knocked back down into the 50s for a lot of the week. Luckily, we caught just a little spark here to finish off and got back up into the 60s, but pretty disappointing this week, I would say overall. And, and all of that comes while we have really tight carry numbers. Um, and, and in addition to those tight carry numbers, we're seeing just a vastly wide range of estimates for Tuesday's uh, U.S. ending stocks. And, and you can see, you know, when you look at the soybean carry uh, last print was 245 million bushels. The average trade guess for this print is 207 million bushel. But look at the range of estimates from 170 to 255. I mean, you're talking 85 million bushel range on a 207 million bushel carry, uh, 40%. So there's a lot of potential here for surprise in soybeans, whether it's up or down, depending on which end of that range we fall and what the USDA actually prints on Tuesday. And, you know, I would say you, Corn, similar situation, uh, 600 million bushel range on a 214 average, you know, 2.14 2 billion. And you've got a 600 million range. It's just, it's wild that they can't seem to figure this one out. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we, we know that we've got supply problems compared to what we thought we had a month ago. We talk about that every week, virtually every time we're on here, we're talking about it. But what will the USDA do to the demand side of the equation to offset some of that supply problem? You know, we have a cheap food policy and there's there's things the government can do to offset some of these surprises that come along. And so I don't know how they'll print it, but there is definitely potential for surprise, as you can see in that chart. If the yields go down with soybean and corn, will exports follow that? Or, I mean, what are we what are we seeing? Yeah, I, to an extent, you're going to see that. Um, that's one of the things that they do to support that cheap food policy. We, we have reduced yield, we have reduced supply, right? Um, with reduced supply, you typically would have a reduced carry. However, they can make alterations to domestic crush demand. But, I mean, biodiesel crush demand, soybean crush demand, uh, not only demand, but profitability is far exceeding what we saw in the ethanol crush. So when they're making money crushing for ethanol and they're making money crushing for soybean oil and meal, 
Um, I have a hard time thinking we can reduce domestic crush demand on either side. So then it goes to exports. We're running a little behind on soybeans, but we have seen daily flash sales picking up over the last couple of weeks. Weekly sales this week were top into the range for both corn and soybeans, but we haven't seen those big purchases coming in, particularly from China on the corn side. So we are running well behind in new crop corn sales, and they, they would be justified in making a reduction there. So yes, you know, you, you see a reduction in exports, maybe, maybe 5% on the soybeans. That's a big deal. Maybe 15% on the corn. That's an even bigger deal. Uh, but something like that is quite possible. And I would say even likely if we do see reductions in the supply side as well. All right, jumping from crop to livestock, let's talk hogs. They haven't had the greatest week. Yesterday, they did close with a little comeback. Were they able to hold on today? No, is the short answer. Due to the holiday on Monday and then some light numbers on Tuesday and Wednesday, we had a lot of unreported confidentiality stuff that we had to contend with on the cash side. So we were having a hard time getting a read on what the actual cash market was going to be because the numbers were just so light, you couldn't set a trend with it. And that continued to be the case all the way through today. I would say we're going to see a heavier Friday and Saturday kill this week to try to make up for some of that Monday. But that aside, you know, October hogs closed the week, $1.52 lower, $81.52. They just can't sustain more than a day or two higher. And, and that has been the case for a long time now. Uh, you know, I think back to when we had summer hogs at 109 and 110, uh, everybody thought, okay, we're finally coming to life. No, uh, it just sloughed from there. And, and uh, you know, what little inspiration we had faded pretty quickly. And that has been the MO of the hogs in general. All right, let's jump to cattle as we wrap up. Feeder and live October cattle had a good day yesterday. Box beef closed down. What did we see today? Yeah, so box beef didn't do much to try to make up any ground on the early report today. I don't have the closing numbers because they won't come out for a little bit while we're recording here. But um, we did see a little bit of makeup on the midday report on the box beef. That has been fairly steady. I mean, we can just pretty consistently we're seeing choice cuts run around 310, uh, select running around 290, you know, give or take. But that just generally we've been holding that that range and uh, so that hasn't shifted much. We did take back some of yesterday's losses uh, on that side of it. We did see um, the cattle, you know, we, we had multiple days higher. Yesterday was a huge higher day, both feeder and live cattle, like you said. Um, today was pretty quiet. I would attribute some of that to um, beef exports on the weekly sales. They were 34% lower than last week and double digits lower than the four-week average. I don't know if we've priced ourselves out of the global market a little bit on the beef side, but that was enough to offset the euphoria that we had through the bulk of the week. And you'll always see a little bit of profit taking on Friday, and maybe that's why we couldn't really get legs under the market today. But the fundamentals remain supportive. Uh, we made new contract highs in uh, uh, several contracts of both live and feeder cattle this week. Uh, didn't finish at those highs, but still pretty close. And, and the market still looks really strong. And so, you know, one of the things we're we're talking about when we talk about the fundamentals is the cow slaughter. You know, I've, I think I've worded it to you when you when you kill the factories, it's hard to make product. And so beef cow slaughter, when you look at, uh, you know, a multi-year average, uh, you can look at last year specifically, which was hugely elevated. But even today, we're still slaughtering beef cows at a higher rate than what is considered normal. 
Uh, and that's after we've already taken a big chunk out of this herd and the breeding stock is way down from where it was. And they haven't started retaining heifers because it costs too much money to do so right now. They're leaving too much on the table if they're keeping them back. And so the, when I say the fundamentals are still there, I mean in a big way. And and could we see higher number or higher prices yet? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the market is always forward looking. And I, I don't know how close we are to where we need to be, say, for the spring time frame. You know, you talk about 195 April live cattle. That's a big number that's going to get hedged against very hard. Uh, can we move past that? Can we see $2 live cattle? I don't know. Can we see that in the in the cash trade? I don't know. You know, we're, we're struggling to hold mid 180s right now thinking we're going to see $2. That's that's hard for me to wrap my head around. But if this continues like this, we'll we'll certainly get there. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. Have a good weekend. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.